We're so glad that you've tuned into our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Jennifer Akers, the Associate Worship Pastor here at Rolling Hills. We're currently in our series, The Greatest Adventure. And today we're in Exodus 20, when God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. We hope and pray that God teaches you something new about himself through today's message. Now, here's Pastor Jason. Well, when it comes to rules, you begin to see people's true colors. Okay, when it comes to rules, if you really want to see somebody's true colors, then you give them a set of rules, and then we will see how much, you know, where they fall on the category, because there are some of you who are self-prescribed rule followers, and then there's everybody else. (laughs) And you are over here in the category of speed limits are just speed suggestions for you. Deadlines are just kind of mere good ideas. If you can get it done by then, and you see a sign, if you're over here in category B, you see a sign that says, do not enter, and you think to yourself, that is clearly not applicable to me. That is applicable to all the other people who can't be trusted to go behind this door that we shouldn't go behind. And for those of you who struggle with the rules, I know you, okay? I wasn't born yesterday. I'm 40 years old. I've been around the, been around the block several times, and I've had several jobs as an adult, all of which have dealt with people. I'm a pastor. Prior to this, I was an event planner. Prior to that, I was a barista at Starbucks. And prior to that, I was a server at P.F. Chang's. All four careers that involved people. And what I know about people is that we like to push the rules. And we like to figure out if there's a way that we can push the rules. Some of you play Monopoly by the rules. And then there's the rest of us. Have you ever played Monopoly with somebody who actually plays by the rules? It's terrible. Who wants to play Monopoly that way? They do not start out with $500 in the middle of the board for free parking. I was playing with a, a game with the friends the other, the other day, and they said, that's not what the rules say. You don't start out with money in the middle of the board. So if you land on free parking, you get some money. I was like, um, yes, you do. That might not be in the rules, but that's the way that we play. This happened to me all the time. When I was at P.F. Chang's, I would have a group of people, seven people come in at 7 p.m. on a Friday night, and they would look at you like you had three heads when you told them it was a 90-minute wait. And they would say, are you sure there's not something you can do? Can't we... Can maybe get ahead of some of the other people? Yeah, that would be great. Why don't I put you in charge and let you in front of all the other people who have been waiting for an hour to see if we're going to have mutiny on our hands if that... Really, there's nothing you can do because 90 minutes, that's like an hour and a half. I'm aware of how long that is. There was a system called reservations. You chose not to go that route. And therefore, that's why we are here Now, regardless of which camp you are in, whether you are a rule follower or whether you are somebody who likes to just kind of tweak the rules a little bit, so to speak, you are all in for a treat today because we're going to spend the bulk of our time together this morning looking at the instructions and the commands and the rules that God gives us to live by. And for all of you who hate rules, please do not dart out the door during my opening prayer. Okay, Because there is something for all of us today, and I believe that you're going to see very clearly what God's trying to instruct us in as we seek to follow his commands. And I believe we're going to see a clearer picture as to why he's given us these commands and these things that we are to live by. And there's something that he wants to teach us. There's a part of his story that he has for us that's that's achieved when we seek to follow the way that he desires for us to live. So know that I'm so glad that you're here. I don't believe it's by accident that any of you are here. And so let's pray and ask God to meet us as we open up his word to spend time in it together. Lord, thank you for this day. I'm so thankful for what's happened in this service already. And I thank you for the opportunities that lie ahead as we open up your word. We just give this morning to you and I thank you for what you're going to do. God, this is your day. 
And we just ask that you would meet us here in and through your word and give us a clear picture of what it is that you want to teach us today. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray and ask all of these things. Amen and amen. Now, one of the more well-known passages of scripture that a lot of humanity is familiar with, even if you're not in church or raised in church, you probably have some familiarity with this passage of scripture in Exodus chapter 20, which is referred to as the Ten Commandments. These Ten Commandments that God gave his people. For some of us, we hear the word Ten Commandments, and our mind goes to a legal battle about should these be in a courthouse wall. Or we go to the Charlton Heston movie where, you know, he's let my people go, and it's this amazing movie that you may watch around Easter or Christmas. But when you hear the word Ten Commandments, I hope that we'll catch a glimpse today of the story about what God's doing here in the midst of delivering these commandments and bringing these commandments to the Israelites, because it comes at a very interesting time. In the history of the Israelites, we've been studying the Israelites, we've been studying the life of Moses this summer in our sermon series called The Greatest Adventure. And all summer long, what we've seen with the Israelites is that the Israelites were God's chosen people and that God had a plan for his Israelites. And he has been on the move with them the entire journey. They were in captivity in Egypt, and God delivered them out of captivity. They needed food and drink, and God provided for them in the wilderness. They needed to be reminded that God was with them as there was a massive sea in front of them, and God parted that sea so that they could walk through on dry ground. God has been a provider moment by moment, but he's also raised up an incredible leader named Moses to bring the Israelites out of captivity into the land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land. But Moses is somewhat of an unlikely character because Moses was not the guy who you and I, you and I would have probably picked because Moses had a lot of kind of self-perceived inefficiencies, some things that would have not been the reason that God should have picked him. But before we get into the specifics of all of the commandments and all of what's happening in this story, I want us to take just a little bit of a glimpse as to what's happening right before this. Because there's something so significant in these two chapters before Exodus chapter 20, and I don't want us to miss it because there's something here about what God wants to show us about this greatest adventure that he has us on. And so when you walked in today, you received a worship guide. There's some blanks on there. If you want to follow along with me, maybe fill in those blanks. You can refer to those things a little bit later on in the week, but you're going to see these words up here on the screen, and you're going to see this text up here on the screen, but something that you see in the life of Moses, and you're going to see it played out specifically when it comes to the Ten Commandments, and you see this in the life of Moses, is the more that you pursue God, the more he works on your heart. The more that you pursue God, the more that he works on your heart. These run in tandem. In fact, Moses is the poster child for this. The more that he pursues God, the more that God begins to work on his heart. Now, we're going to look primarily at chapter 20, but all of Exodus chapters 1 through 20 speak to this truth, this promise that if I pursue God, God comes in and works on my heart. If I seek after him, he comes and refines the things that need to be refined in my life, all the way back to chapter 3. God calls Moses, and Moses' first comment is, what if they don't listen to me? You want me to go be a leader, but what if they don't listen to me? And God says, I'm going to be with you. And then Moses says, well, I can't speak very well. And God says, I'm going to raise somebody else up to help you speak. And then God says, go, tell, the, tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. Moses says, what if they don't listen to me? And God says, I'm going to bring plagues up on the Egyptians to let them know that I am there. What if they don't let me Take the Israelites out. It's time after time after time. But with each of those iterations, the more he comes to God, God continues to refine in his heart. No, I have called you. 
and I have set you apart for this work. All the way up to chapter 18. If you go all the way to chapter 18, Moses is still a work in progress, just like you and I are still a work in progress. And in chapter 18, what happens is Moses' father-in-law shows up. And Moses' father-in-law is named Jethro. And he shows up, and he wants to see about all that God has done because the Israelites have been delivered out of captivity. And so what he finds is a pretty troubling picture. He finds Moses on a seat judging what's happening in the midst of all the people, not in a bad kind of way, but he's sitting there dealing with all of the situations that are happening in all of the Israelite community. Now, a couple weeks ago, I told you just how big this group of people is. We're talking one million plus people, including men, women, children, plus lots of livestock and animal. They're out in the desert. They are hot. They are hangry. They are tired of manna and quail. That is all God has provided for them, which is more than enough, but they're wanting more. They've been given water, and they're tired of all the things that God has brought to them. And what the text says is that from morning, noon, to night, Moses is sitting there judging all of the conflicts that are happening amongst this one million group of people. Y'all, this is a recipe for disaster. A recipe for disaster. And so Jethro shows up, and he says, Moses, pursue God in this, because when you pursue God in this, God's going to refine your heart. And he's going to show you a better way to lead in this moment. So that's where we pick up in Exodus chapter 18, starting in verse 17. So Moses' father-in-law replied, What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice. And may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Dare I say, father-in-law for the win on this one. Jethro shows up as the father-in-law. He gets the gold star because he says, you have got to appoint other people, Moses, to work with you and to lighten your load. You need to bring these things to God, and your load is going to be lightened. And you're going to see other people raise up. You're going to raise up other people to help you in this task so that as you pursue God and bring those needs to him, God's going to refine in your heart that you do not need to be the one making every decision. You don't need to be the one with complete and utter control of everything that has happened. And I think there is something here that I needed to hear. And maybe there's something here that you needed to hear as well. I'm so burdened by the pace with which some of us live our lives. I'm so burdened by the way that some of us burn the candle at both ends, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And maybe God's showing you this morning through this text I've got to pursue him, and when I pursue him, he's going to refine in me that I've got to let some things go. And I've got to raise up some other people to help with some of the things that I am doing because it's just simply not sustainable. Something has got to give, and even in the commandments, which you're going to see here in just a minute, God's going to speak to this as well. And God's going to say, I want you to live your life at a healthy pace, and I want you to live your life with a healthy sense of margin, and God's going to emphasize that truth. But God has more work he's doing in Moses' life. As he seeks out God and pursues God, God continues to work in his heart. Fast forward to chapter 19. So now Moses goes up to Mount Sinai where God's going to speak to him and where the Ten Commandments are going to be spoken and Moses is going to bring the tablets down the mountain. So Moses goes up to the mountain and God speaks. And God says, if you will fully obey me, then your people will be my treasured possession. So go back down the mountain and tell them that message. So goes, Moses goes down the mountain. 
And then God calls him back up the mountain, and God says, I'm going to come in a dense cloud and go back down the mountain to tell the people that's what's going to happen. Prepare themselves for what it is that I'm going to do. So Moses goes down the mountain, and he tells the people of that billows of smoke come. God calls Moses back to the top of the mountain. So he goes back up to the top of the mountain, and God says, now I want you to go back down to the mountain and tell the people to consecrate themselves before God. And when he's down that time, God comes. So the billows of smoke and the Ten Commandments are inscribed upon the tablets. Moses goes back up the mountain and gets them one more time and then comes back down the mountain. And you all realize that's a lot of exercise. It's a lot of mountain climbing here. The movie Ten Commandments left this out. Moses went up. He came down. Up, down. Up, down. Up, down. God's trying to teach us something in the waiting. He's refining something in our lives. Some of us are in a season of life right now where God's not working on the timeline that we want him to work. And you might look at it as as back and forth with God. God, what are you doing in all this back and forth season? Perhaps you're in a season where as you're pursuing him, God is working on your heart. Because what's getting ready to happen is Moses is going to be taking the word of God the commands, the rules, the instructions of God, and he's going to be bringing it down to the people. But four times he goes up and down before he brings that word back. See, God was doing something in each of those moments. God was refining something in Moses in each of those journeys. And I believe he wants to do the same thing in my life and the same thing in your life. You may not get an answer on day one. You may have to go up the mountain a couple times and come back down and go up the mountain and go back to the valley, and sometimes go back up to the mountain, and go back down to the valley, and it's in all of that journey that God refines in you what it is that he wants to do, and if you continually pursue him, he works on your heart so that you're ready to hear what it is that he actually has to say, because after all those journeys, God speaks, and God gives his word, and his commands, and his rules, and these are what those commands were. It was the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 1. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents on the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter nor your male or female servants nor your animals nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day, and therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land your Lord God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And what I hope that you saw in all of those commandments is this truth. And we're going to unpack this, but you see it up here on the screen is that every word of God serves as a reminder of just how holy he is. 
every word of God, every command of God, it serves as a great reminder of how holy he is. Because what God is doing is God is bringing these commandments to his people to remind them of who he is and to remind them of his heart and to remind them of his character. Go back to verses 2 and 3. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, and you shall have no other gods before me. See, the same God speaking to you right now is the same God who was in the cloud by day, the same God who was in the smoke and the billows, the same God who was in the fire leading you by night, the same God who brought the plagues to deliver you out of Egypt, the same God who had that Red Sea in front of you and he parted it so that you could walk through on dry land, the same God that provided manna and quail and water for you when you were hungry and thirsty. I am still working and I bring you these commands now so that you can live and so that you can understand my heart and how holy I am. And see, God says, I don't want you to have any other gods before me. I don't want you to have any other idols that are more important than me because I'm a jealous God. And it's a word that we don't often use so much. We hear the word jealous and we think, well, that must be really, really bad. And we're not talking about like, I'm jealous because you have nicer things than me. But God says, I'm yearning for priority in your life. And I'm so jealous, God says, for that relationship with you. In fact, he directly says it in verse 5. You shall not bow down to them, false gods, or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. God yearns to be first place. He learns to be of a place of prioritization. He doesn't want you to seek to find meaning in other places. Why? Because he knows that no other little g God can do for you what he's done for you. No other idol can do for you what God has done for you. And so these rules all of a sudden are different. These commandments are not just checklists for which we live by. They're not just about behavior modification, but rather they're about us understanding how holy God is. Now, why do most of us struggle with rules here in you know, the 21st century? Most of us struggle with rules because it forces us to change something about our behavior. I don't like speed limits because that means I have to let off the gas. It's just, a, it's just a mere behavior modification tactic. It's for a good purpose. It's for a good reason. But I don't like rules because they are, and I'll honestly, sometimes just about, it seems like behavior modification. Something needs to be corrected in my life or something is going to be prevented from me doing that. Now, sometimes I hear rules and I think to myself, that's a really silly rule. Have you ever had that moment where you're just like, that's really silly? And then I even go to the point where I'm just like, who's actually going to enforce that? I mean, that's a, that's a great rule, but whose job is it to enforce that? Like, I mean, who wants to be their job to be the one making sure that you actually shower off before getting in a pool? I mean, it's a rule at every pool you have ever been to, but I'm thinking to myself, do not sign me up for that job. That's not a job I want. I mean, are they going to kick me out of the, you know, the Nolensville Rec Center because you don't go shower before you get in more water? that has a chlorine content of, you know, like one million. Uh, so, I mean, it's like, I mean, is this really that big of a concern for us? But see, these commands are not just about behavior modification. These commands are not just about check this box and do this. These commands are reflective of who God is, his holiness, and the fact that he is loving and that he is good. So you see it here on your screen, but the focal point then of God's law is not just a bunch of rules for other relationship. The focal point of God's law is not just a bunch of rules, but rather 
a relationship. Wasn't it so awesome what we got to celebrate just a few minutes ago with the Simonetti family? So incredible. And I was talking to some of them this week and something that they said to me that has just really been ingrained in my brain. They said so much of life sometimes is lived by just trying to follow rules. And when you follow rules, sometimes you get to a place of fear. And you're just following a bunch of rules because you're trying to live life to not be afraid. And then you realize God's not given us these rules. God's not given us these things to follow so that we would be fear-based. He's given us these things because he offers us grace and he shows us love. And I realize that a relationship with Jesus is not about just checking a bunch of boxes, but a relationship with Jesus is about growing to know him and to walk with him. So the focal point of God's law is not just a bunch of rules, but rather about how am I growing in that relationship. And what you see that's really cool in here is that these Ten Commandments are kind of broken into two categories. The first four are what I like to call the very God-centric commands. I mean, they're very much focused on my relationship with God, so we'll call those the vertical commandments. And then you get to the last six, which are really about how I interact with other people. And so let's call those the horizontal commandments. But specifically, when I look at the first four, the vertical, the first four show me how I'm to be in relationship with God and what I'm supposed to do in terms of my relationship with him. He says, I don't want you to have any other gods before me. I don't want there to be any other little g gods that are more important in your life than me. And I'm going to let you guys do some self-evaluation. Is there something in your life? Is there a little g god in your life that's taking priority over what it is that God wants to do in your life. He says, make no images or idols that would steal worship away from me. Now, it's safe to say that most of us probably do not struggle in this day and age in building actual physical little idols with brick and rocks and, you know, pipe cleaners and sequins and all those kinds of things and put it in our house and worship that. That's probably not a struggle for a lot of us. Now, it's what they were dealing with in this day, and that they were building physical idols, but an idol is anything that we worship more than God. Is there anything in your life that wars for more importance than God? Is there any idol in your life that you struggle to give, or to put at the back of your life, opposed to allowing it to be what drives your life? I would venture to say that for a lot of us, self-included, we get it. And that's why God is saying, I don't want you to put those things as first. Don't make those images or those idols or worship those things, but rather worship me. And then he says, don't misuse the name of the Lord. His name is to be holy. We're not to use the name of the Lord in a vain or, um, or terrible way. And then he says to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And this was the one that you guys wanted me to skip over. You guys are like, I want you to skip over that one because the rest of the six I'm really good with. I'm not going to kill anybody. And, uh, you know, I'm not, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to steal or anything like that. So can we just kind of skip over the Sabbath one? And unfortunately, I'm not going to do that because what God says here is that six days you are to work. And on the seventh day, you are to have a day of rest. God is saying that I yearn for you to live this way, to work hard, but to also have a day of rest. This is likely one of the most misunderstood commands, which means that it's likely one of the ones that we tend to break more frequently than all the others. In fact, I think for Western society, it's what I like to call the most respectable sin. This is the sin that we sometimes wear as a badge of honor. And I'm really burdened by this because I've dealt with this in my own life. And in talking to you, I know that a lot of us are in this journey 
together because see what our Western society says is work, 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 never take a day off. Our Western society says to take a break is to be weak. Our Western society says to take a day to not work and to reflect upon God and to put my sights on Him opposed to the things that I'm doing. The Western society says that's not important. But God says if you don't do it, you're sinning. And so there's something he's wanting us to see here. It's a badge of honor for a lot of us. We like to think that we're busier than everybody else. And I I hear it all the time, and I've said it. And many of you may be guilty of this as well. You greet somebody on the street, and you say, how are you doing? And what do we tend to reply with? How have you been? Just been so busy. You guys are looking at me like you have never said this. I am so grateful that I am in a group of people who have never struggled with this. How are you doing? Busy. I've just been so busy. I've got so much going on. I've got all of these things that I'm trying, all these plates that I'm trying to keep spinning. And sometimes I've never said this to somebody, but maybe I give you permission to. Sometimes you just want to look at people and say, you know what? I'm busy too. There's like 7 billion people in the world. We're all busy. We've all got a lot going on. We all have things that we're trying to keep up in the air. But I think it's time that we stop thinking that we're in control of everything and that we have to burn the candle at both ends and work 24-7, 365 days a week. It might seem like weakness to the world, but according to God, we're in the right place when we bring some margin into our life. And we slow down. And we say, six days I'm going to work, but on that seventh day... I'm going to rest. God puts it right up there with murder. Again, never heard a sermon about this before, so I thought I'd give it a whirl and see how it goes. And some of you guys are telling me that you're not really sure what you're thinking about this, but God says it's so important because it grows you in that relationship with him. And don't you love that Jethro hit on this? Because what does Jethro do? Back in chapter 18, Jethro shows up, and what does he see in Moses' life? He says, you're working too many days. You've got too much going on, and I want you to bring that to God. And when you bring it to him, God shows you a better way. God actually accomplishes more in six days of work and one day of rest than he does with seven days of work seen this in my own life. Remember back last week when Pastor David was talking about this? The manna that they collected on day six, God gave them manna for all the week. And on day six, he told them to collect manna for two days. And on day six, you would collect manna for day six and day seven. What happened to the manna that was held over from day six to day seven? It was perfect. It stayed awesome. Manna to me, I think it was a graham cracker. I mean, it had to taste like a graham cracker. The graham crackers were just awesome. On day seven, as they were on day six, days one through six, however, days one through five, I should say, when they tried to hoard extra manna, when they tried to do a little bit extra on days one through five, and they tried to save it the next day over, they woke up, what did it have in it? Maggots. God's trying to show us here that there's something about pace. I believe your kids need to see it. My kids need to see it. Your employees need to see it. Your teams need to see it. Your community needs to see you live with the pace that God has for you. And some of you are going to say, Pastor Jason, I just cannot do that. I just cannot do that. You do not know how much I have going on. To which my reply to you is, it's not my command, it's God's. So you can take that up with him, vertical. Now, 
6 through 10. We're on the horizontal side all of a sudden. But God wants to meet you there. And I think he wants to teach you something in the midst of that. So let's look ahead to commandments 6 through 10 because they open up some amazing insight. In fact, this is what you see in chapter uh, 20 when you look specifically at the next six commandments is that God's law gives us the clearest picture of how we are to interact with others. God's law gives us the clearest picture of how we are to interact with others. He says, honor your parents. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet what other people have. Now, that word covet is one that we don't use every so often in our vocabulary. So what does it really mean? It means that I want something that you have so badly that I care about that more than I care about you. I want your belongings so significantly, or I want your success so much so that I strive for that more than I strive to know you as a person. And that success or that admiration or that SUV or whatever the case it might be is more important to me than you are important to me. And he says, we got to guard ourselves amongst those things. And when you seek to put others first and when you have a desire to put others above yourself, you begin to see why these commands are so important. Because if I steal from you or I lie about you, or I covet what you have, then what I'm saying is that all of those things are more important than being in a relationship with you. Those things are more important. So God's law is not just a bunch of rules to follow, but it rather gives us a clear picture of how we are to place other people more important than ourselves. Because if you break these commands against other people, you're saying you're really not that important to me. Because if somebody steals from you, they're giving you a pretty clear indicator of whatever they stole was more valuable to them than the relationship that you have with them. So God's law is not rules necessarily to follow as much as it is to understand how we grow in relationship with him and relationship with others. Now, the cool thing is that God gives us many tests. He gives us many tests to see how we're going to handle that. And he gave tests here immediately. Look back at verse 20. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. See, God wants to keep you from sinning because it's sin that separates you from God. It's what separates you from that relationship with God. Now, practically speaking, here out in the wilderness, again, there's a million plus people who are journeying. This is a lot of opportunities for you to be stealing things. I mean, we're in close quarters. We are all, again, ready. We're over this. We're done with this. This is a prime place for me to be stealing other people's items. This is a prime opportunity for me to covet other people and look at their livestock because their livestock is better than mine. And God is saying, here's a test. Do you love me so much and do you love others so much that you'll keep yourself from breaking all of these rules? So keeping God at the center of my life is the most important command. Keeping others as more important than myself are the commands that I seek to live by. Now, maybe that sounds a little bit familiar to you. And it might sound familiar to some of you because you're familiar with the moment that Jesus was questioned about what's the most important commands. In fact, the religious leaders of the day came and they asked Jesus, what are the most important commands that we should live by? There were 600 plus Old Testament laws and they were trying to back Jesus into a corner to see how is he going to pick? How is he going to pick just one of these laws and commands that we are to follow? And Jesus says, if you're looking for the two most important commands, the first of which is love God with all your heart, and second is to love people. So to follow this vertical relationship, 
and to honor and keep other people as front and center and you to take a back seat in those horizontal relationships. So see, God came down on Mount Sinai to bring his commands to the people because he wants to be in a relationship with them. God sent Jesus to this earth to live and die for us because he wants to be in a relationship with us. In fact, Jesus fulfilled the law. You see it here in your notes, but Jesus came and fulfilled the law. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or that I've come to abolish the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but rather I have come to fulfill them. Jesus answered the religious leaders by saying, I want you to love God and I want you to love people. And Jesus could have referenced any specific set of rules that he wanted to in the moment. But he said, instead of telling you, check this box or check this box, I want you to follow the two most important commands that have to come out of the overflow of your heart. And that is to love God and to love other people. And if I can get these two things right, what's going to happen? Everything else falls in place. If I can get these two things right, what I'm going to see is that everything else falls in place. I love him because he jealously yearns to be in a relationship with me. And I confess to him that I'm broken and I confess my sin. And I realize that Jesus died and rose from the grave in order to give me life, to give me eternal life. And then Jesus says, I want you to go and show that to other people. And I want you to step in the lives of other people. So whether you're here this morning and you're a rule breaker, or maybe you're over here in the rule follower category, or maybe depending on the day, you kind of have a foot in both worlds. You have to trust that those rules are there for a reason, even if you don't understand them. But these commands, these commands are here not to just make our life miserable. They're not here to check off a bunch of boxes. They're here to grow you in a relationship that matters the most. And they're to grow you in the relationships with God and others that matter the most. So as you pursue him today, I hope that you'll realize he wants to work on your heart and that he is seeking to remind you how holy he is, how good he is, and that he has an amazing adventure for your life. And it starts right here and right now by trusting him, loving him, loving others, and preparing for what it is that he has in store for us in the days ahead. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for meeting us in this place. God, you are so good to us. We are so grateful for your love. We're so grateful for your mercy. We're so grateful for your compassion. We thank you, God, for just the ways that you work in and through our lives. We thank you that you've given us these commands and that these commands are not to be just followed because of behavior modification. They're not just to be followed to check boxes, but God, they're to be followed because they show us your heart. And your heart for us is to be men and women that put you first. Your heart for us is to be people who work hard, but also stop and rest in you. Your heart for us is to be in good relationships with other people and to bring honor to other people and to put their needs above our own. And so God, I pray that you would work this morning. I pray for the person who's here, who's struggling in a relationship with you, that you would meet them in this place. I'm praying for the person who's lived most of their life just by simply trying to not make you angry at them, God, and that they would realize right now that there's nothing they could ever do to make you love them more or love them less. God, you died and sent your son, Jesus, so that they could have life, and maybe today will be the day that they meet you. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in each of our individual lives, and we just pray, God, that you would come 
that you would move and that you would work in this place. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray and that we ask all these things. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and ways you can connect. We're thankful for you.